0: audience. This is Co-Cruncher and Finux. We're kind of chatting today. This is the first time we're actually talking. Um, It's strange to talk to a stranger, but Finux, why don't you start by also greeting the audience?
1: Uh, Hello, podcast listeners. Um, It's been a while since we've been on HBR, but yeah, it's uh, nice to speak with you, Co-Cruncher. How are you?
0: I'm fine. Um, You said you're in sunny Dundee. I'm in rainy Vancouver, so that's quite a contrast, I guess.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I suppose it stands to show uh, how diverse the uh, HPR community
0: actually is. Yes, that's true. So I have a question for you, (laughs) because... um, I mean, I'm only listening to HPR, like, starting last October, so I haven't really heard many of your shows at HPR before you started then doing your own show. I always thought that HPR is actually a good way to get started with podcasting and, and then do your own show. Just wondering how that is working out for you.
1: Um, ugh, I mean... I have such a, a love hate relationship with podcasting. If truth be told, I, I've I've talked about podcasting before, like at Software Freedom Day and all of that sort of stuff. And I'm a big fan of podcasting. And I've always said that you should um, that that HPR is a, a, an ideal way to get into podcasting. And I was once given some advice by the the HPR god himself, Klaatu, mm-hmm. uh, that said, you know, you shouldn't, shouldn't really start your own podcast. You should always do it through, like, syndicates through HPR and that sort of stuff. And for some silly reason, I, I just didn't take the advice. And I've had two podcasts in the end that I've started up, like, through HPR. Um, TrackSec, that didn't, you know, that, that made about four episodes, and uh, Phoenix Tech Weekly. But... Sometimes it's, it's very hard because of your outside commitments to be able to, to, to do it. But we're, we're, we're getting uh, Phoenix Tech Weekly back on, and it's a lot of fun. In the flip side, if I'm struggling getting that out, it makes it hard sometimes for me to uh, podcast at HPR. And, and the HPR's always been like my first podcasting love. I I've loved the community and loved everything about it. Um, but yeah, um, if you want to get into podcasting, there is no better way than uh, using HPR, definitely without doubt
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean i never thought i would ever do podcasting before the last time that ken actually was desperate to get shows in and i recorded my show on how i got into linux
1: yeah i think ken's put in some really nice features um a lot of good work's gone into hpr Um, I, i haven't really been much of an active member for for a while just with outside stuff but like the um they have that number that you can call in and record yeah. podcasts yeah, with. I think wonderful. that was a fantastic addition. Um, yeah, the the syndicate Thursdays. I think that's a really good idea. I mean, HBR has come on leaps and bounds this year, and, and yeah, definitely. The, the, I, I have to stick my hands up. I'm, in, I'm a HPR fanboy. Like, there's no two ways about it. But yeah, uh, so people at home, if you get bored, you should uh, start recording episodes. That uh, could be just as easy as uh, getting two geeks on Skype, I suppose.
0: We probably have to tell the audience the reason why we're doing this show now is because Ken kind of saw the queue getting too empty and was putting out the call in the mailing list for shows. So you said you have something to talk about, and I said I have time to record and edit it. So now we're doing it. It's awesome. <laughs> And um, I mean, we did have a little pre show, very short chat through Facebook to kind of agree on one or two topics. Um, shall we start with the botnet topic?
1: Yeah, yes. Yeah, <laughs>
0: so maybe I give a little introduction how that actually came up. Because I was listening to your last Phoenix Tech Weekly. There you mentioned that in Canada there was a 53% increase in command and control servers for botnets. But then in Phoenix in Tech Weekly, there was this pause of five seconds or something. And during that time, a lot of questions piled up in my head, and I decided to go online and um, do a little bit of research about why is it in Canada and, and what happened. The information I got is not. Uh, there isn't that much information. No, the there's, reason. There's not, it's... Sorry.
1: No, there's not. Is there? Um, and it's an interesting question. Why can't it there nowhere else? Yeah. Uh, I. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 what's the? Uh, what have let, you come across? I mean, it, me... it seems to me that. Yeah, yeah I yeah, mean. You could
0: just... <laughs> how this number came out is um, because this company. Let me see if I wrote it down somewhere. WebSense. WebSense, yeah, there is this guy, Patrick Ronald, and they um, started looking into this issue after they decided to invest the situation that they were seeing an increase in targeted attacks against the Canadian government. That's the reason why they looked into the numbers and they saw an increase of 53% in the botnets, I mean, in the command and controls, and over 300% increase in uh, spyware, no, phishing networks or phishing attacks. Mm -hmm. So it's a huge um, increase coming from Canada. But, I mean, one of the first questions I have is like, how do you really identify and count command and control servers because they are dormant most of the time, aren't they?
1: Yes, yes, and no. Um, it, it's an interesting question. Uh, I mean, we have to take whatever statistics come out of this with a pinch of salt um, because it's one commercial entity's outlook on what they what they're seeing through through their data which they collect and in, in their ways of doing it. So uh, it, it's not been independently verified, to mm-hmm. say the least. So WebSense is seeing what it considers to be a command and control, which could very well be legitimate, but it, it is, is what WebSense sees as a command and control. And this is not to say that there isn't an increase in it. But command and control would be uh, if if someone is to get infected, uh, Configure was a cr- prime example of this sort of stuff, that the, the, the botnet needs to speak about home. So by code analysis, you can say, right, this piece of evil code contacts this server. In some way, shape, or form, it will be hard-coded, either an IP address or a a domain name or something like that. Uh, And that's where they'll say there's a a command and control center in Canada because they'll be doing an IP lookup, so to speak of. Uh, Does that sort of make sense?
0: It does, but, (laughs) I mean, there are also these command and control centers that kind of have an algorithm on a time based algorithm for finding the connection. So it may actually not necessarily be hard coded, or easy to identify that um, a certain calculation results in an IP number or something.
1: Yeah, I mean, at the end, but in the end, the point for delivering control uh, has to be... I mean, no matter how much you encrypt it, at the end it's got to be decrypted. Mm-hmm. You know, no, mo- mm-hmm. no matter what, mm-hmm. th- there is an exit point and an entry point. Yeah. Uh, and that, that that software has to speak to an exit point at some yeah. point and that mm-hmm. has to... The nature of it you can make it more difficult, so on and so forth. That's not to say, though, that uh, uh, a, sh- you know, a van load of cyber criminals rolled into Canada. Uh, I mean, this... It's this is the bit that I found very hard to get my head around that trying to make this localization of the, uh, of the problem. Um, yeah. and it, yeah. you know, and, 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 the internet isn't like that. It doesn't work that way. Uh, yeah. And I think websites did a very strange job as well because they picked on Canada, but they failed to say that America is still the number one
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, host of, of, of phishing data. You know, Canada is number two, you know, mm-hmm. it, maybe there isn't such a surprise that if, the biggest country in the world producing this stuff is your next door neighbor. Maybe there is going to be an overspill you know yeah. i don 't think that it 's uh, 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 yeah, I was very dubious about it on the show. I have to be to be yeah. honest with you
0: I mean they um, talk a little bit i mean there 's like they have different numbers in their statistic, and i i 'm going to post the, web, uh, the the link in the show notes. So Canada is number two now for phishing sites, and it moved from 13 to sixth for the botnets. I think. Well, there are two reasons. One reason they talk about why the U.S. is leading, and that is just because a lot of the a lot of the servers are in the U.S. I mean. <laughs> it's It's like really you get a h- you have a huge infrastructure there, so that also means uh, high numbers for everything and then yeah, they talk that's... about um two botnets that were taken down in the u s and that's why maybe uh, the people move to yeah. Canada because the the law enforcement <laughs> is cracking down on botnets more in the us currently
1: it, it's just a transient issue i mean yeah. I, I you know if you squeeze one end it's going to pop up at the other end i mean at the end of the day the, the, i suppose the relieving point is is that if they're saying that this is due to the rostock and core flood um mm-hmm. but being taken down Uh, What they're ultimately trying to say with this sort of argument is is that there actually hasn't been an increase in any cybercrime whatsoever, it's just been moved. Um, So there isn't more cybercriminals. You know, just the problem is, and and, you know, you can only do crackdowns for a certain amount of time as well. I don't think, uh, I think, I I wouldn't be surprised if we saw this sort of number drop uh, and move about, Uh, maybe it's just a good, Maybe what we're really going to start seeing now is uh, a transient cybercrime bubble just popping about uh, and moving to different countries and so on and so forth. I don't know if this is going to be uh, like a permanent problem for Canada. I'm not 100% sure on that.
0: Well, it's it's a problem that's not going to go away. (laughs) I mean, you're not saying that the number is going to drop overall. It's just the ranking maybe change again.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt that, that that the issue needs to be looked at. I mean, at the end of the day, if you've got cyber criminals using your infrastructure, at some point there is always going to be a problem. Uh, and it is up to governments uh, to to regulate that sort of issues. And so, yeah, I mean, the mm-hmm. government are going to have to look at what they can do to make sure that they, they come out of that situation uh, and what appropriate actions the government can take at their level uh, because yeah if 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 it's easy to commit cybercrime in Canada you'll not be surprised if you have uh, uh, cyber criminals move in that's yeah, I suppose that's almost like common sense
0: yeah that's something i read in in like the comments by different people on the the articles that i looked at that um, like the canadian government really isn't doing much <clears throat> Or, or doesn't have good structures in place to actually deal with cyber criminals
1: and that that's not particularly unusual um I used to do a I was involved in an ethical hacking degree and we at the beginning we did a lot of learning about how laws take a long time to catch up with what's happening technologically uh-huh. related a massive right. time uh, and the you know the, there was times where like, cybercrime in in the UK wasn't very well regulated and and times in America um, Mm -hmm. it's a very interesting book by I was recommended by a friend of mine uh, called the cuckoo's egg um, by Clifford Stroll it's uh, an awesome book it's a true story and and they had um, they basically had hackers uh, this is years and years ago maybe I think it was in the 70s or something like this had -hmm. hackers breaking into systems but the American, like, into, into, like, Milnet and all of this sort of stuff, I mean, they had some serious intrusion going on, but they didn't have the laws to to actually get the FBI involved. The FBI couldn't get involved unless mm-hmm. it was a million dollars in crime. Um, yeah. and And, you know, or, or... So the problem with laws, the thing is, is that they don't... It's easy to write a patch, but it's not so easy to, to write a, a law, and you have to get it through courts and votes and so on and so forth so yeah it's a it's an ever-changing state it's a tough problem i wouldn't want to be a government trying to to fix uh, what's legal and uh, not legal yeah, yeah certainly in cyberspace anyway
0: yeah cyberspace because it's global and it's really hard to deal with it on a like country by country level yeah.
1: well packets don't know borders
0: uh, no. that's the long
1: story short sure. you know mm-hmm. they they don't care if they, they, they were sent from Canada or they don't care if they were received in America. They, you know. mm-hmm. But unfortunately, those states have to have some level of control. Uh, not much you can do about that, I suppose.
0: Another question that came to my mind is like, I mean, you have the command and control servers and then you have the zombie computers, right? That they mm-hmm. can contact. Uh, How Can you find out if your computer is a zombie?
1: Numerous of ways. Um, But it's all, you'll have to, it's kind of like a a per situation basis, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I suppose what you need to understand is if you've been compromised, exactly what a compromise is. Uh, It's probably easier to look at it that way. Mm -hmm. Changing performance, um, instability of your system, because obviously, bad guys don't care if they, they they break APIs in your system or libraries or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. That, you know, they don't care. Yeah. Also, strange network activity definitely a, a big giveaway if something's going on. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean firewalls, uh, firewalls are good at picking this stuff up. If you know if
0: mm-hmm.
1: if you're running uh, semi decent firewall stuff, yeah, you'll be. It's good. Uh, Linux, obviously, in a lot of ways, is, in my opinion, a little bit ahead of the, the game on that. But uh, I, I also think that Windows, their own firewall, that they're... I mean, I don't use Windows systems anymore, and I haven't done for years, but uh, the last time I, I knew they had a firewall and XP, and that, that seems to have been pretty good from most of the research I did at the time. Um, mm-hmm. So these things will help. At the end of the day, if your zombie can't communicate with its command and control, then... It's still a zombie you know it 's not an active player anymore, mm-hmm. so yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah there's there's a big they 're interesting i mean it 's something that we talk about, obviously, when I speak to people not involved in hacking, or i 'm the first hacker that they've they 've met and the the conversations ultimately always start off with you know how can hacking be ethical blah, blah 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 blah, but mm-hmm. eventually, what happens is people start saying, well. I'm not, uh, I've got nothing to hide, so no one's going to hack me. You know, there's, there's, I'm only a small fish. There's plenty of other fish in the, other, in the sea, so I'm not, you know, I'm not a target. I've got nothing for them to target. And it's this point that I always come back to. It's, it's these zombie machines. Um, and you can inadvertently be involved in uh, cybercrime. Russian, the the Russian mafia have been reported to have used botnets to take down uh, gambling websites during um, live matches. Oh, so, they oh. would, so they would say to um, basically an extortion racket, mm-hmm. um, you will pay us £25,000 during the Arsenal-Chelsea soccer match or we will DDoS your, your site during, during that match. And if you don't believe us, we'll take your site off now and they knock the site over. Uh, and then the gambling companies only have two choices, really. They either pay or they don't pay. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, if your business is taking online bets during sporting events, you being off during a major sporting event is a, is a, a massive issue. But, yeah, I mean, that's an example of you being used purely as a resource. People don't understand that. that, that mm-hmm. People tend to think that, that, that as a target, you as a target of bad guys interested in your data it's not always the case sometimes a bad guy is interested in your resources such as your bandwidth such as your machine so on and so forth
0: so gambling sites that's an interesting one because i mean there is a lot of money involved so you can really also probably get a lot of money what, what the only I... reason we,
1: we the only reason we know about it is um we one of the gambling sites refused to pay and got knocked off. Uh, We don't know how many actually paid Hmm. uh, prior to that. So it could have been the first one, they could have just got caught, or, uh, you know, or it could be one in many, but that's for sure. There there is a, I certainly know of companies and organisations in the UK that have paid money, uh, extortion money, uh, for, for data not to be, yeah, I know of a university in London that paid three times before they called in the the police.
0: Wow! So, yeah, That's so we don't crazy. know I mean,
1: like I say. Yeah, it's only one that we know about. So it's either either widespread or not. But yeah, I, I mean, it's an example of it's an example of using the situation. And they don't just target online gambling sites. I mean, at the end of the day, you're You could have inadvertently, by being part of a botnet, be involved in lots of different stuff. Anonymous, um, a prime example. Mm -hmm. Um, Interesting case, Anonymous. Uh, People um, willingly infecting themselves with a botnet. that certainly would take any of your protection, certainly under any UK law, that certainly you wouldn't have any protection under the law in that Mm -hmm. situation, Mm -hmm. Uh, none at all. And I I would be surprised under many many countries that that you would be protected under the law with that.
0: As but, far yeah. as I know, you don't have protection in the U.S. either. I mean, that's what I heard no. on other podcasts that I'm listening to.
1: The, I think the long story short is, is most laws are based on intent anyway. Um, mm-hmm. The intent to commit a crime mm-hmm. is the criminal act itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you knowingly using yourself as a tool to knock over PayPal or Amazon, Mm-hmm. You know, you knew what you were doing. There's no, it doesn't matter if you were a small mm-hmm. cog in a, in a big machine. at The end of the day, your intent was to cause damage. Uh, so, you know, if 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 your laws can support those arguments, you, you uh, as we would say in the UK, you're banged to rights.
0: Yeah, there is also the other side of the story. I mean, it's it's an amazing kind of, you know, invention to actually have computers control other computers and, and have them do a lot of things. I think the most like, extreme botnet that I remember was the the Estonia attack, where they actually took down a whole country. (laughs) Are there others? Sorry?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's lots of cases about this. Uh, Bruce Schneider is uh, he's on a he's on a little bit of a a rant about this stuff recently and i have to agree with with him the problem with cyber warfare in this this kind of context is is that you should never really use the terms you should never really use the term war unless it does refer to to you know bombs and bullets and death Mm -hmm. um because it desensitizes people there is no, you know, nothing's happening now. And so nothing happened to Estonia that hasn't happened before. There, there was nothing new in what happened here. You know, it just had a name. That's all that happened. At the end of the day, if you talk about this in a warfare context, right, the reality of what happened in Estonia was an invading army invaded the country and filled up all the queues in the supermarket. That That's the equivalent of what they did. You know, they... they Turned off some services. Yes, it was a pain in the bum, but no one, you know, they they, they, they occupied services. That's all they did, uh, and it's it's not really, uh, you know, what we should be starting to see, and we have been starting to see, is more um, cyber components being deployed during warfare. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, the term the Estonia thing is, you know, it was done for no other reason than to annoy Estonia you know let mm-hmm. let 's be let 's be perfectly it's, it was designed to be the, the ultimate nagua, but yet we see i mean you don 't want to talk about like cyber warfare we see cyber weapons that 's what we we 're seeing and we see this with you know Stockton. Mm-hmm. i mean <sighs> alleged blah 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 but let 's be honest about this this software attacked not only a specific nuclear reactor a specific nuclear refinement facility. But a specific reactor within the facility, mm-hmm. right? So that code was very specifically written for a target. No two ways about it. It had an auto kill switch, all of these sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I'm, I'm going to make my opinion that that's cyber, that, you know, that's the cyber weapon. Yeah. And what we need to start talking about in terms of, of war, because this is the problem when you say things like cyber war, is that an act of war? You know, is 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 that cyber attack an act of war? You know, that was a cyber weapon that went off. You know, and and unless we drop the cyber warfare malarkey and start talking about it in the context of what it is, um, and stop with this this media hype about it all, and start being a little bit more realistic about it, we're going to get into crazy situations um, based on doses. I mean, we've seen we've seen cyber components being used in warfare for quite a while. Uh, believe the beginning of Gulf War I, we uh, hacked into the uh, Iraqis air defences and shot them off. <laughs> you know, so cyber components we. in warfare. Uh, the, 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 the allied forces.
0: Oh, okay. believe, I'm
1: not sure if was British or, or, or not. I'm not sure which ones did it. But, yeah, they, uh, they, they, they switched the radars off and then uh, bombed. It's mm-hmm. not unusual, yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. we didn't call that cyber warfare.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know I mean? we, we called that war. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's my issue, and I, I don't mean to go into a big rant mm-hmm. about it. But, no, and, I, mean, and I think
0: I mean it. It is really too bad that the terminology kind of distracts from what is actually going on and happening, and you know, blurring the actual discussion about the technology and the potential, but. I mean, these incidents are wake up calls and and make us realize that there are vulnerabilities out there that um, are new because of our networked world. That's kind of what I see.
1: A prime example is this internet kill switch. Um, Wow, I mean, it's it's a uh, echo Bruce Schneider again on this one, but if you make a button that could turn off your internet. As a bad guy, that's pretty much the button I want to press. And now I have a target. Uh, so you know, mm-hmm. it, it, <laughs> you know, it's it's making a nuclear bomb because someone's got a nuclear bomb. Uh, you know, it, it it blows my mind how it even gets discussed. I mean, I have a friend who would say that it's that wrong. It's not even wrong anymore. You know, it, you know, and that's almost meaning that you know you couldn't be wrong if you tried it's that far away from from even sensible uh god knows how they would even think about doing getting in impl- well i've got ideas about how they could implement something like that but would you want it is, is such a, a different question and and in fairness as well i mean say america shut up shop for 24 hours you know what's the impact on the rest of the internet does the internet carry on or does it stop do we inadvertently lose all our services because of uh, American presses about it, it's it, Worrying times ahead, no doubt about it.
0: I kind of think that the internet is still going to survive, even without the US, but uh, the question is like, how many services actually come from that country that we depend yeah. on and that don't <laughs> you know, have replicas outside that would survive.
1: Yeah, it'd be, uh, it'd be interesting to see. Uh, well, you know, if they make a kill switch, we might soon find out.
0: You'd Think somebody will be tempted to find out?
1: Oh, yeah, it'd be the holy grail, wouldn't it? I mm-hmm. mean, really.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like the world's biggest target. Yeah. You know, it's not going to get bigger a target than I turned off America's internet. You know, yeah. the, you know it's, it's the yeah. ultimate DOS. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never really thought about it that way, but it's intriguing. Okay, well, <clears throat> that was much a much longer or much longer answers to my questions that I had regarding I, I, this botnet thing in Canada. Um, she just
1: told me to shut up when I ramble on, you know.
0: <laughs> no, it, I I think it was very interesting because I mean we're taking a risk here. We're we're having a discussion without actually knowing each other, and it works quite well. But um, there was another topic that you mentioned which is something you talked about at uh, meetings which is tunneling over what was it? Oh, tunneling uh, over DNS. DNS
1: inquiries yeah I've recently been talking a couple of, it, it's, not a, it's not a new thing but I've been talking about how it's possible to wrap up your communications into DNS inquiries and send them Um transfer them over DNS inquiries. So basically wrapping your IP traffic in DNS inquiries. Um, and it wouldn't surprise people to know that there isn't many legitimate reasons why you would be doing this. But the reason for it is is that it's a very effective means of bypassing captive portals or some firewalls as well. It's very handy at doing that. And the reality of
0: it can you um, just explain DNS queries, like what is actually the information that is being sent in DNS queries? That... What
1: happens in, yeah, what happens in DNS is DNS is the system that we use, um, so that we have domain names that that, that are memorable. Otherwise we'd all have to remember, um, number ranges mm-hmm. and people notoriously about it, remembering those. So DNS is the system that we use to, um. That stands for domain name service or system or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea is, is that there is, a, a, I think, a 16 or maybe 13 root DNS servers. And what they handle is the .coms, the .orgs, and so on and so forth.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and then the domain name part, will, which is like uh, phoenix.co.uk, that the, my ISP would handle the resolution between getting the Phoenix bit and translating that to a number that refers to a system somewhere on the internet. Mm-hmm. So, what happens in a DNS inquiry is pretty much um, one end you have a request that goes out and says, I'm looking for uk," uh, And the system goes, Okay, that ends in a co.uk. That root domain server holds that will hold the information for that. high. Whereas Phoenix is okay, Phoenix is held by this domain name server and this is his IP address. And that's pretty much how it should work. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got some notes on it somewhere on the site and stuff like that, but I'll, I'll send you some some stuff and you maybe stick them on the HPR site where mm-hmm. it does a better job of explaining DNS stuff. But basically DNS in, in requests in the end are your computer's way of asking the domain name server where a resource on the internet is
0: so and then you can use this for tunneling
1: yes well this is the interesting thing um Mm -hmm. i I, i'm sure we've all i'm going to talk about a captive portal and it might be easier if i just mention it like a captive portal is i'm sure we've seen these wireless networks that you can sign up you 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 get on it's an open wireless network but you need to register um to, 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 to use the, the, the web. And what they tend to do, how they tend to work, is they tend to intercept HTTP requests. And until you pay for your service, uh, it will intercept all those HTTP requests. However, um, it would seem, and has done for a long, long time, they do allow un, uh, unfettered DNS requests. So what you... What what I've been able to do, and I'm not the only one in the world that's done it, and and, and I'm only copying other people's work, really, um, is I've been able to wrap my HTTP traffic, which would be intercepted on these these, uh, uh, captive portals. And I've been able to wrap it up into DNS requests that aren't being intercepted by the captive portal. So I'm able to get point-to-point communication working over, but basically without them being able to, they, they, they can't see it, they, you know. It's not being intercepted by them at all. So, so I mean,
0: the the <laughs> trick is to not use the HTTP protocol, so that the other server cannot identify you as somebody who should pay.
1: Yeah, well, it doesn't it doesn't see you. Uh, I mean, you, you're allowed to. You're working within the rules of that particular system. You're not exploiting anything per se. Um, mm-hmm. But what happens is, um, in, in this case so i was able to establish a um quite easily i was able to establish an ssh session over one of the over a, a captive portal and i was able to establish an ssh session out of the the captive portal uh to another machine and tunnel my traffic and everything like that as well and what is interesting here is another vector when i've talked about this before and I talk about vectors i'm really talking about uses i mean my... I'm supposed to be a bad guy for the good guys. That's ultimately what I'm supposed to be. Uh, so I'm supposed to think about how, how these things are, 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 are attacked. And what's really handy is is that as a bad guy, it's a very, very handy tool. Uh, it's easy to say, oh, we get free internet out of it. But the reality of it is, is that I can tunnel data out of your network over your DNS servers. Now, you if you're not watching for that, you may have a, a, a very tight up data lockup kind of policy. But I can, bit by bit, steal data out of your network or your DNS inquiries. Or I can tunnel. The great thing with DNS, DNS is is, is very good at not traversing. Um, it's, it's a routable address. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, we can use it to establish uh, illicit communications with a target. So we tunnel our attack code over DNS. Uh, and that's circumvents problems with that and uh quite hard for it for, for it to be picked up as well so yeah i mean the, the, there is a lot of interesting uses for it but this came about in god uh this is not unknown uh, a bunch of german hackers i think in 1998 used it uh, to call into microsoft's um update service and then they would tunnel their their traffic because it was a toll-free number at the time, uh, like. Uh, just dial up sort of days, but yeah, they were, able to tun- they were able to call into Microsoft's update servers and then tunnel their IP traffic over DNS inquiries and get an internet connection basically through a toll free number, which was Microsoft's update server. Uh, and, th- and that was the beginning part of it. And then a very famous researcher called Dan Kaminsky released some tools, which my talk was based on slightly, called Ozyman DNS, which is really a really set of Perl scripts that enable you to set this sort of setup up it's it's quite easy actually to be honest with you Uh, but you need you you need a machine on the internet that's the long story short of it you need something to tunnel to Mm -hmm.
0: well i feel like i have to go through my networking book again to actually understand (laughs) how and which protocol you're really kind of exploiting here
1: you what you what you're ultimately doing is you're wrapping this is quite a bit to get your head around as well. You're wrapping TCP IP packets up in UDP. Um, okay, so you
0: some, move them down.
1: You, oh, there's a, whole, there's a whole lot of stuff that needs to be worked out. You, you're mm. exploiting... What you're really doing is you're exploiting... How it works is you can encode traffic in DNS requests. You get lots of different DNS sort of requests. So you can get a DNS request for a TXT file. Uh, which holds resources in, so what we're able to do is encode traffic um, into base 64 uh, and uh, base 32 sorry, and then um, re-encode it at the other end and then respond back with the request. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what you're really happening what you're really doing is sending structured DNS requests because you can get up to uh, the, the length of a DNS request theoretically you, you can get up to 255 bytes. So, in mm-hmm. one DNS request, we we can send a number, a, 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 an amount of bytes uh, that dependable, uh, but no more than two hundred and fifty five, but probably a little bit less. And then the uh, fake domain name server in the in the in the internet uh, can respond back with a TXT file uh, that has the appropriate response for our traffic. And that way, we're able to send data from point to point. Um, so you, you're exploiting uh, the implementation of DNS more than anything else.
0: Yeah, I mean you because also HTTP requests they kind of are in the end broken down into packets that get sent out and reassembled.
1: Yeah, I mean the problem the UDP, end. the the problem the the problem you have to overcome uh, in reality is. Using UDP for something that it is completely in, completely incapable of doing. Okay. Um, you, you know, <laughs> problem UDP has no error checking. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, you drop a packet, you drop a packet. Mm-hmm. However, in a TCP/IP yeah. setup, that's, that's not good voodoo. That's that's bad. Um, so there is, you know, it, as a as a protocol hacker. You know, but that's why I kind of really love that, that sort of stuff, because it is it's, it's really insane to think that you've basically put a, a, a square peg in a round hole uh, yeah. and made it work.
0: So two more questions. I mean, um, so if packets get dropped, do you just ignore them or do you send a or can you identify that they were dropped? Can you yeah, it's, re-quest, it's, re-request them?
1: yeah um, the, there's a couple of tools out there that that, that make this easy. Um, mm-hmm. Ozyman DNS is one of them um, without doubt probably uh, the better one of the tools uh, and that is actually available on my site as well um, i can 't remember the location of mm-hmm. it, but i 'll send it to you okay. and there is a few other tools um, one called NSTX. Um, which this is what the German hackers developed, and what this is able, what what this does is it's a Linux tool. I think uh, I don't think you can get it for Windows. I could be wrong though, uh, and I don't think you can get it for Mac. But I think it's a Linux tool, and you're able to set up like a, a virtual network device on your machine, and you have like a fake domain name server out on the internet, uh, and you can set up a, a virtual device on that machine as well, uh, and you can set up a VPN, and it works that way, and that one's. That one's quite good. There's got quite a lot of protection built into it and stuff like that. I've been talking about it for a while, so mm-hmm. you know, I've got some slides and stuff like that that'll be coming out in the next couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, going over all of this stuff. Okay. I spoke about it at B Size London, and I'm way to speak about it again in uh, London at the, the beginning of June.
0: So uh, the other question you mentioned TXT files, so that's text files. <laughs> Is there then? I mean, how much data can you actually transport this way two hundred and
1: fifty five points uh, at uh, once no. yeah but in total uh, uh, anyone yeah no 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 limit to it um, if we talk about countermeasures to, to this sort of attack if you're there's countermeasures to the countermeasures and it's one of these strange <laughs> games of cat and mouse, but the reality of it is there's certain things that you can do there, there isn't really a huge amount of legitimate reason for browser request and that sort of, stuff. Sort of, it really, mail uses TXT quite a lot, you know,
0: but mm-hmm.
1: you know, you shouldn't really need that. Your captive portals wise, you need to change DNS servers when you're, you know, you, you shouldn't allow recursive DNS lookups, this is how it ultimately works. Um, so you're able to, what happens is, is say we have evilserver.phoenix.co.uk, we do a DNS request to that. Uh, and what happens is, is we use uh, a, a, a File setup, uh, a DNS server setup that would say, all requests for this domain name look at this domain name server for it, and that's kind of like a recursive lookup. And that's in part where the hack works, because of this recursive movement. It's very hard to explain over or, or, over a podcast, um, <laughs> but I do try and explain it in my in my, my slides. Yeah. But the, the 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 true hack in the implementation is is two things really is. This recursive lookup, um, because your DNS server can't you, you as the legitimate peer person, captive portal, or firewall, or so on and so forth. You're only seeing the resource to evil.phoenix.co.uk. But what happens when that lookup happens is when they get to that domain server, that's the bit where it points to a different fake domain server that's encoding and decoding base 64 and 34 encoded uh, DNS requests. Um, so but you can't say you can't say block if you get a million requests for a domain block it. You, you know you just can't do that because you know imagine uh, like if you're you know if you are a university that has a captive portal and requires your uh, students to sign into the wireless network via their uh, credentials um, a lot of universities have the similar setup and you'd be able to tunnel out of it
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so, but the problem there is is that you can't say, "Oh well, if you get a million requests to Phoenix, block Phoenix," because how many million requests do they get to Google? I mean, you, you, you know, you, you, the problem is is that, that you can't do. There's only certain things you can and can't do. I mean, you're only using functionality. And that's the, the the interesting problem you you're not, you know, you're, you're doing what the protocol, in some ways, was designed to do. You know the, the TXT records. You know you can send two hundred and fifty-five bytes of data. That's exactly what you're doing. That's exactly what it was designed to do. <laughs> there is problems, but yeah, if you start to see a huge bandwidth go up on your uh, on your port fifty-three, yeah, might be time to start looking. Certainly, there's no two ways about it. You shouldn't see that much bandwidth or that much traffic. You know, really, a DNS request isn't a huge amount of data. It shouldn't be. it's it's, it's a lightweight protocol.
0: I can't remember what port 53 is standing for. Oh, that's
1: DNS, sorry. That's DNS. Okay. Yeah, that's the DNS port, sorry.
0: Okay, that's how the circle kind of closes. Yeah, this is really interesting because it's kind of just exploiting the way things work. And I mean, it's it's a typical hack because you're taking what's there and um, making use of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, All of the best hacks are implementation hacks. Um, You know, if you if you look, if the protocols, the problem is when you write something. DNS systems is an an example of this, but this was written years and years ago. Mm -hmm. So we've had a lot of time to go over it and find weaknesses in it. Lots and lots and lots of years of doing that, Uh, and this is always the game that people play. Um, You know, and you get there I and mean, there's this protocol hacking is, is really interesting
0: mm-hmm. okay well I'm looking forward to actually see your slides because it is hard to imagine the whole thing oh. without the graphic accompanying yeah, um, the whole explanation
1: I had to do this talk at besides London in 30 minutes um, from beginning to end now, it was recorded, but I don't know when it's going to be made available. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I have the slides, and like I say, I'll, I'm giving it again. Um, but yeah, after that, the slides will be be out. And I think the slides may be available on the uh, B-Sides uh, London website. Uh, maybe yeah. have a Google and see. I'll find oh. out. <clears throat>
0: yeah. Uh, uh, if we can find them, we should put a link in the show notes.
1: Have you, have you have I scared you with all the uh, all the uh, DNS tunneling talk <laughs> uh
0: no you kind of I'm I'm curious now and you know these are the kind of podcasts that I really like at HPR when like I get information about something that I've never really thought about and then can actually follow up and and you know, maybe get more information, get to understand it better, or just—it's—it's mm. it's thought-provoking in in a lot of ways. That's what I like. But I am a little overwhelmed at this point. I have to admit. So being yeah. able to look at your slides will be good. Oh, you sent me the link. <sighs> oh, that's great.
1: Yeah, I, I I just found the the, the link there. So.
0: Okay, so we'll put that in the show If you have any more
1: questions, (laughs) if you have any more questions. (laughs) If
0: I have more questions, we have to do another show because I think this one is (sighs) already getting pretty long. I mean, much longer than I expected it would be. And um, maybe we should also mention that in your uh, Finux Tech Weekly, you actually talk about B-Sides London. Uh, So if people are interested in hearing more about it, they can probably just try to find your podcast, right?
1: Yeah, you can. We we allegedly we do a weekly podcast, but it's not been like that for a while. But yeah, you can find us at www. uk. And yeah, we've we've the past couple of episodes have been uh, B side sort of related, which is a, a really it's really been quite fun to be involved in all of that sort of stuff. So
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: been been a lot of fun. It was uh, it was very nice to speak with you.
0: Uh, yeah, hopefully
1: we can do it again someday.
0: Yes, this was very nice. I'm, I'm like glad that I was able to pick your brain about the botnets, which helped a lot. And yeah, thanks for jumping in. Thanks for offering to record a show for HPR.
1: No, uh, thank you for, for for wanting to do it. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Actually, it's been, it's been fun.
0: Okay, I think we have to say goodbye to our audience and thanks for listening.
1: <laughs> yeah, thanks very much. And and folks don't forget you could be making shows as well. So do do take the opportunity to, to, to get on calls and talk to people and record things and you know it's a community podcast and Ken needs the needs the shows. So honestly folks, stand up and be counted, and get yourself recording a show. Thank you, Code Cruncher. You have a good day, okay.
0: Thanks, you too, Phoenix. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting media.